And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 319. We're coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin and a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. So I do want to apologize first up for my fill-in episode last week. Unfortunately, we're going to have a fill-in episode next week as well. Those of you who know me personally, your friends on, on Facebook personally, uh, know that uh, I have some family obligations that need to be taken care of, and so I'm going to be out of town next week. It's still just possible that I might be able to put a show together, but I'm not going to count on it because of the uh, travel time between here and Arkansas. I'm going to be driving down, and it's going to be kind of a, a kind of a stressful weekend for me this coming weekend. Anyhow, uh, thanks everybody for for your patience, and hope you enjoy the mythology uh, compilation episodes that you're going to get next week uh, because that's the last one. We finally reached the end of the uh, the Kevin Crossley Holland complete Norse mythology. And uh, yeah, it's funny how there's nine parts of that. It's almost as though we planned it that way in advance. Things that make you go, hmm. Anyway, so uh, as promised, this week we're going to be talking a bit about Infinity War. I assume that most of you have seen Infinity War at this point. If you haven't, then maybe you should go watch the movie, then come back and listen to this episode because there's going to be infinite spoilers about Infinity War on this show. Okay, so let's talk about Infinity War. Before we get started with our review proper, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest condensed version of this review. I really liked this movie. There's a lot of things to like about it. We'll be touching on a lot of those in the discussion to follow. But I have to say that in the grand scheme of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this is probably the third or fourth movie down on my list. There's a lot of great movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think that, by and large, this one holds together really, really well. Now we're going to go into a little bit more specifics. And what the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of talk basically about the plot. We pick up the story directly after Thor Ragnarok with the ship of Asgardian refugees. The ship gets attacked by Thanos and his minions, Basically, they whoop everybody, they whoop the Hulk, they whoop Thor, destroy the ship, the, just a few survivors. Basically, all the Asgardians are wiped out. We'll talk more about that later. We get a, actually a death scene for Heimdall. Loki dies. The Hulk gets his ass beat by Thanos, which causes some problems later. And then we uh, actually kind of show Thor going off on his own and running into the Guardians of the Galaxy. In the meantime, we actually have some scenes on Earth. The Hulk was sent uh, by uh, Heimdall in his last gasp of, of breath. He uh, summons the, the power of the Bivrust and teleports the Hulk to Earth um, in a scene that I think is probably not 
not well thought out, but maybe we'll talk about this later. Anyhow, the Hulk ends up in Doctor Strange's house underneath his staircase. We have a scene where the uh, first of the minions of Thanos come and uh, attack uh, Doctor Strange's house in pursuit of the Time Stone. And in the process, they attract Spider-Man to the fight. We have the uh, lieutenants of Thanos being able to capture Doctor Strange, but they're not able to get the Time Stone off him because it's enchanted. So here's the first kind of chink in the armor of Thanos. Iron Man and Spider-Man decide they're going to chase after the people who captured Doctor Strange, while Bruce Banner contacts Captain America, and we have Wong... Uh, Doctor Strange's servant who stays behind to keep uh, you know the other villains out of Doctor Strange's house. Uh, in the meantime, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy responding to the Asgardian distress call, and they rescue Thor. And Thor has kind of figured out some of what's going on here, and they realize that uh, Thanos is going around collecting the stones. They they are able to collect the Tesseract aboard the Asgardian ship, so. Thor figures his next step is going to be seeking the Reality Stone, which is with the uh, the Collector, where Sif and Volstagg took the stone at the end of the uh, the first Thor movie. In the meantime, Thor goes with uh, Rocket and Groot to Nidaveller, which it turns out to be a planet instead of one of Thor's nine realms. But I, I don't know how they get there. We'll just, uh, we'll just accept it for now, and maybe we'll nitpick about this later. And there they meet Atri, who is a giant dwarf, and they create a new weapon for Thor since his hammer got destroyed by Hela in the Thor Ragnarok. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the Guardians of the Galaxy are going after the Reality Stone on the Collector's World Nowhere. And they find Thanos already there. Thanos kidnaps Gamora. And she decides she's going to uh, reveal where the Soul Stone is. Because uh, Thanos is torturing Nebula. And has got her all pulled apart. And and it's really kind of a a creepy scene. But it works. Uh, Thanos uh, keeps Gamora hostage. And they travel to another planet. And it turns out that the Keeper of the Soul Stone is none other than the Red Skull. How surprised were you by that? I sure was surprised by that. I thought it was cool at the same time, but it was really, really weird. In order to uh, get the stone, the Red Skull tells him that he can only be retrieved by sacrificing something he loves. And Thanos kills Gamora, uh, who apparently he loves, even though it doesn't really seem like he should. Um, Nebula manages to escape and manages to contact the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they decide to meet up on Titan. Iron Man and Spider-Man manage to rescue Doctor Strange, and they go to Titan as well, and they they hook up with uh, the remaining Guardians. Please note, there are no Eternals living on Titan, at least not that we know of. If there were, they probably would have gone to see them. So after Doctor Strange and and Iron Man and and Spider-Man arrive on Titan, the, uh, they meet up with the rest of the Guardians of the Galaxy and they, they come up with a plan by which they can remove the Infinity Gauntlet from Thanos' hand uh, so that he can't use it. And just as they manage to come up with this plan, Thanos actually arrives. We have a big fighty McFightenstein, big battle, and they almost, almost manage to uh, subdue him. And then Nebula deduces that Thanos has killed Gamora. And that pisses Star-Lord off something awful. So uh, Star-Lord attacks Thanos. 
which uh, basically breaks the coordinated attack that they had going, adds this random element that allows Thanos to escape and overpower everybody. Iron Man gets really seriously wounded, and then uh, to save Iron Man's life, Doctor Strange gives up the Time Stone to Thanos. In the meantime, we have a scene in Wakanda where Captain America has gone with the, the Scarlet Witch and the Vision and is reunited with the Winter Soldier, and they fight uh, some of uh, Thanos' army. There's a big battle. In the meantime, uh, Shuri is trying to uh, extract the Life Stone from the Vision without killing him. And then uh, they were going to use uh, Wanda's hex power to destroy the stone so that Thanos can't have it. That doesn't quite work out because the Vision is an idiot. And he decides to go taking off after the, uh, <laughs> the other characters. And, and uh, they end up getting cornered in the, uh, the woods. The Scarlet Witch manages to destroy the Life Stone. And that would be you know, killing the Vision as well. But Thanos is able to rewind time using the Time Stone and keep her from doing that and retrieves the Life Stone, which ends up killing the Vision. He's got a big old hole in his forehead. Big battle going on in Wakanda, everybody fighting. We've, we've got the impotent Hulk fighting in the, uh, the Hulkbuster armor and everything is fighting McFightingstein. And we then have uh, Thor, Rocket, and Groot arrives, and they manage to kill all of uh, Thanos' assistants, and the army is, is dissolved. And uh, then Thanos arrives on Earth. There's a big battle. We have a big fight between Thor and Thanos, which is awesome. And uh, Thor almost manages to uh, destroy him, but Thanos activates the Infinity Gauntlet, and um, yeah... He teleports away, and then everybody starts turning into cornflakes. Uh, the uh, ones, the, the characters that turn into cornflakes include the Winter Soldier, Black Panther, Groot, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Mantis, Drax, Star Lord, Doctor Strange, Spider Man. So those are you know, the main characters that, that end up getting dissolved. Notice that none of the actual Avengers, the, the original Avengers from the first film, end up turning into cornflakes. thought that was an interesting choice because you, you would think for the emotional impact, at least one of those guys would end up turning into cornflakes too. My money would be on Iron Man just because Iron Man was one of those characters that we've seen a lot of, has had a lot of play, uh, both in the Avengers movies and also in Spider-Man and you know everywhere else. So, I mean, that would, that would make sense. It would have that emotional impact that you need just when you think he's going to be okay after uh, Doctor Strange saves him. I think that would have been a, a stronger scene had uh, that happened. But anyway... Uh, we do have a bunch of uh, kind of the, the side characters that are left behind. Uh, some of the, the minor characters like a War Machine and Rocket. Captain America is still there. Black Widow is still there. And, of course, Thor. And we then uh, cut to Thanos. And he's peacefully sitting in a cave uh, watching the sunrise on another planet. post credit scene, we have uh, Nick Fury turning into cornflakes along with Maria Hill. And uh, he manages to, at the very last second, transmit a message to some unknown person, and the transmitter shows the insignia of Captain Marvel. So Captain Marvel, of course, will be released uh, just a couple of months before the next part of Infinity War, or the, the uh, continuation of the story. 
All right, so thanks to Wikipedia for uh, supplying me with a bare-bones uh, plot that I could kind of summarize. So if you notice the similarity, that's why. All right, so I'm just going to talk really briefly about what I thought of the movie. I'm going to nitpick a little bit. But by and large, I'm going to say I actually liked this movie quite a lot. It was a strong movie in the sense that it was very well put together. The acting is generally really good. Even though there's 10 million characters, everybody gets something to do. Now, not everybody comes off equally. And in some ways, that makes sense. You have the characters, major characters, like the Black Widow and Captain America, who have almost nothing to do. Likewise, the Black Panther has almost nothing to do. He's got basically one or two scenes uh, of you know, putting together the armies for the battle, and that's pretty much it. Actually, I think Shuri, his sister, has more of a role in this movie than T'Challa does. Now, that could be because at the time when Infinity War was being filmed, nobody knew the Black Panther was going to be the huge success that it was going to be. So nobody knew how, how uh, popular the character was going to be. So it is interesting that you know, when he uh, kind of turns into cornflakes, uh, they the got quite an emotional response from the audience in the theater that I was watching it in. We had a guy sitting behind us uh, who was loudly sobbing <laughs> when, when the characters started to uh, dissolve. So, I mean, it, so there's obviously for some people, I don't cry in movies generally. I, I mean, I don't get that emotionally attached to them. I can see why people would. And I think especially a, a character like, uh, like the Black Panther, who's come to mean so much to so many people as a symbol as well as just being a popular character in his own right. So I can definitely see why people reacted the way they did. Just some, some basic thoughts on what they did. Uh, they carried along this idea of the uh, escaped ship from Asgard as being these kind of wimpy characters. I didn't care for that. I don't like the fact that they killed Heimdall, but you know, on the other hand, are they going to do another Thor? It seems unlikely that they're going to at this point, and certainly they wouldn't be able to do it on Asgard if they do. Uh, Chris Hemsworth has gone on, on record as saying that he will consider doing another Thor if they have a good script. Uh, but it seems to me that definitely the way Marvel is looking at it, that franchise is pretty much played out. Then maybe they'll try to revive it at some point in the future with a different actor. I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of the way the, the, the movies work. I mean, how many times have they rebooted Spider-Man, for God's sakes? I, I do kind of like the, the, this initial battle. The Hulk impotence, which starts here, it makes sense if you kind of come to this conclusion that the reason why the Hulk won't come out of Bruce Banner is because he's really afraid of being whooped again by Thanos. The Hulk is not a character that is used to being beat on. I mean, he's used to being in battle, but he's not used to being defeated so handily as he was defeated by Thanos. So it makes sense to me that you know, he, he would be afraid. It also gives Bruce Banner a chance to shine a little bit in battle as the Hulkbuster. I like the Hulkbuster armor as a concept, and... It's interesting because you would have the Hulk in the middle of this great big battle in Wakanda. And if he were fighting as the Hulk, it would be kind of a chaotic situation. He'd be hurting the good guys as much as he'd be hurting the bad guys. So I think that it makes sense that you would have Bruce Banner. But as the, the Hulkbuster armor, 
and having almost as much strength in the armor as he would have as the Hulk. It's a clever idea, and I kind of like that, that idea. Again, we have Doctor Strange, uh, obviously the major character in the movie. That in itself is actually a little bit odd, because Doctor Strange is not a character that one generally associates with the Avengers. Rather, you know, he was always part of the Defenders back in the day. We have the, the Guardians of the Galaxy, who the, the Guardians in general don't have a lot to do. We have a couple good scenes with all of them. Drax doesn't really get much to do. Groot is kind of woefully ill-used here. I mean, he's there. We actually have a cool scene where he grows a, uh, a new handle for the, the weapon that is created for Thor, and I really, really liked that aspect of having him there. But by and large, the Guardians don't really have all that much to do. And so it ends up when they dissolve. It doesn't really affect me at all, you know? I like the fact that, that one of them survives at least, but Rocket's the only one left. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of sad. Nita Veller was way cool. I didn't mind so much the fact that they went to Nita Veller and it was kind of its own planet and not part of the Asgardian cosmos anymore. I love the fact that Atri uh, is, is in the film as somebody who creates weapons. That's what Atri did. Like the fact that they have him there, like the fact that they have a real little person playing a dwarf but a giant dwarf, because of course Atri is the size of a giant in this. Love the whole scene where they you know, manage to get the uh, the forge going again, because I think that that's just a, a really cool scene with Thor. It was a good scene for his character. Nice attention to be paid to our favorite character, you know, who we talk about a lot. And I just thought the whole Atri thing was really cool. They created a weapon that was really a lot like Beta Ray Bill's hammer except it's just slightly more axe-like. And I believe they did that deliberately. I would be very surprised if someday they don't introduce Beta Ray Bill, and it would be kind of cool if he had this weapon. That, that would be one of those cool things they could do. After Nita Veller, they went to Vormir. Of course, like I said, the Red Skull, having a character you never expect to see again just kind of suddenly pop up in, this, in, in a random role. Does it make sense? I don't know if it really makes sense because we don't really get the sense what happened to the Red Skull. But why would he be the guardian of the Soul Stone? How did that happen? Is there another story here somehow? Yeah, there should be. But it was still kind of interesting to see the Red Skull there anyway. Not a lot to say about the big battle with uh, everybody in Wakanda. And that's because it was just basically this just a huge fight. We had some really good suspense here with... The scenes of the Scarlet Witch trying to destroy the Life Stone. And I, I, again, I, I think it was really stupid of the Vision to leave where Shuri was trying to remove the stone because I think she could have done it. You know, you get the sense that the Vision had a very poor lapse of judgment here because he wanted to go protect Wanda from, from what was going on. And it, it turned out to be basically the end of the universe because he did that. Would it have been possible to stop? You you can see a lot of places in the script where they could have stopped Thanos if things had gone just a little bit differently. And I'm thinking that in the sequel, we're going to see a little bit more because the time stone. We're going to see some scenes here. Obviously, the people who are dead here most of them are, if not all of them, are going to come back. We know that some of them are going to come back because 
there's going to be sequels coming to their movies. We have a Black Panther coming out. We have another Guardians of the Galaxy coming out. If the Guardians of the Galaxy movie is just Rocket, you know, that's just not going to work, is it? You kind of have to have most of the original group, if not all the original group. So, yeah, it's very obvious that in, the, in part two, things are going to be undone. So there's not a lot of a um, reason to be crying, sobbing in the theater because, you know, they're not going to leave Spider-Man dead. He's too valuable a character, you know. One of the weaknesses, I think I may have mentioned this earlier, the fact that we really don't get a proper introduction to Thanos's lieutenants. Uh, they're not ever named in the movie. So we really don't have any idea of who they are, what their relation to Thanos is. They're his quote-unquote children. We don't know if they're his literal children or whether they're, you know, just sort of his uh, just, just trusted soldiers that he refers to as his children. But uh, I, I do like them. I like the fact that uh, one of them, uh, being Ebony Maw, who is the uh, sort of wizard guy, he actually is definitively a Jim Starlin character. You can tell just by the way he looks that he's a Jim Starlin character. He's got that whole no-nose thing that Jim Starlin loved to do. You got a lot of villains that that Starlin created that had this no-nose thing going on, including the High Lord Papal from Dreadstar. It's a a look that Starlin liked a lot. Uh, Other than the, uh, the face paint that he loves... Uh, like uh, what what Gamora had in the 70s and the huge uh, fuzzy afros that that characters like the Magus had back in the 70s. Those are the kind of looks that I kind of associate with with Jim Starlin. That and uh, women with these huge afros and also have really, really big hips, uh, that seemed to be uh, one of the things that uh, Starlin was into. So we should wrap this up and try to come to some sort of conclusion about exactly how we feel about this film definitely think that that the next part of this is going to be cool and i'm looking forward to it it's going to be one of those movies that uh i'm definitely going to be paying attention to and hopefully it'll be good you know because other films that are coming i think that uh, we, we need a good solution to this i think we need a satisfying solution to this not everybody needs to come back I'm a little bit surprised that they left the original core Avengers team alone, that none of the core Avengers died. You know, we, we had you know, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man die, but we know they're going to be back. You know, we know that there are sequels coming, so you know, that's not a big mystery. But if the Black Widow had, had died, or perhaps Captain America, that would have had a stronger impact. So it was interesting to see that why Marvel chose the characters they did. Maybe because the movie's called The Avengers, they felt they couldn't kill any of them. But I think that, that maybe there would have been more impact if one or even two of them were to turn into cornflakes and disappear at the end. I think that that would have been a stronger ending. I think that that would have created uh, a bigger shock for the audience and maybe more enthusiasm for what's to come. Because right now... It's like, okay, well, yeah, we had some characters, some major characters die, but we know they're coming back because they have sequels coming. So what happened? Now, we may still have those deaths coming in part two, but I guess we'll see when part two comes out. Am I looking forward to part two? Hell yeah. I I do want to see what happens. I think they did a really good job. But, uh, you know, there's some characters that weren't used very well. But when you've got this many characters it's really kind of impossible to do right by everyone. But everybody got at least something, which was, you know, 
is good. You know, this movie is over two hours long, and it sure went by quick. It's it's really well put together. Yeah, I thought that the way the movie was constructed was really, really uh, good. All right, and with that, I'm going to wrap up the show for now. Thanks very much for listening, folks. We really do appreciate it. And, of course, you want to email the show. Let us know what you thought about Infinity War. You can email us at RadioFreeAsgard at gmail.com. And, of course, you can find us over on Facebook. Just look for Radio Free Asgard there, and you will find us. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge. Well, you know, not really the Rainbow Bridge. I'm back on a uh, leaky spaceship flying through the cosmos after having been attacked by uh, Thanos. And Heimdall just gave up his life to send me to Earth. And I'll, I'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.